Are you wearing bell bottoms? What do you <laughs> shop, by the way? Okay, this is actually know. something very unique. I, got I thought, these the I thought kids side. like shopped on the internet, but I feel like you don't even have the internet sometimes when I look at you. I, I mean, I, I don't think I could find stuff like this on the internet. I, I honestly don't know the last time I purchased a clothing item at a store that wasn't shoes. And underwear, of course. I'm not going to go thrifting. Wait, hold underwear. on. Let me do the math in my head right now. Uh, so, what? So, you, oh, so you, you purchase clothing in stores, but shoes online? Is that what you just said? No, no. I purchase. I, I actually don't. I don't think I've ever purchased clothing online. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. No, you, that's actually kind of weird now that I think about it. No, I. Are all your clothes for free? Book. Are these clothes that people give to are, you because they are feel you bad? Me I look like I'm wearing hand me downs. I, <laughs> I don't know if I want to. I mean, I just. Are the. They're wider at the bottom. Okay, just... so they're, they're from the 50s. Okay. These are, I guess you could say, hand-me-downs through the thrift store. Yeah. Uh, I bought these on the Lower East Side. There's like a, a really cool store. It's just like an old man that collects clothes. Yeah. And I went and I tried these on and it was like, oh, cool. Bell bottoms. So I was like, all right, let's do it. Something nice. different. You noticed? I did definitely. You know what? <laughs> I did notice. I did notice. They did did stand out. Where you know, are you? I have a question uh, for you. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Andy. I've always thought it was interesting. Okay. You always wear sneakers with your suits. Not always. Oh, all right. Unless you're professional. Not always. Just casual. Sometimes, you know what? I typically when I do wear sneakers, I wear them with short socks. But like they've started to like chafe my my Achilles tendon. You know. Oh. Okay. Like because it like rubs up against it a little bit. So I put on my my long socks this time with like the colors and everything. Um, I just thought it was one of those days to do that, but I don't like lacing. These, these shoes are zippers, so I can just zip them up. I don't have time for laces. Wow. You know, when you grow up and you're a power broker like me, you don't have time to do things like humble tennis man, shoes. Humble man, humble man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where were you in 2017? So 2017, I think I was in high school. Oh. Yeah, I was a senior in high school. Really? I, I was on track to go to school for dentistry. What? Yeah. How did I not know that? Because I didn't go to school for dentistry, so I don't really talk about it. Oh, so it's it. just an idea. Well, okay, so Did I you went just to really school. like teeth. It's, yes, it's really weird. I've always said that teeth and shoes are like one of the most important things in a person, oh. and I just think that it says a lot about your hygiene, who you are as a person. You know how much you take care of your teeth. Mm -hmm. Your shoes. I mean, my shoes are always dirty, but by choice. But I mean, these are not. Well, your shoes are from 1942. <laughs> I bought so these last that's week. That's why they're dirty. I know, but you bought them from a guy who is probably dead. <laughs> no, right? I bought you these were from like, the oh, store. those will look better on my live feet. That's how right, you go right. shopping. So but you yeah. were in high school in 2017. I was in high school. I was the president of the Marine Biology Club. I was a big nerd. That I believe, actually. <laughs> that I believe. That yeah. I believe. And, uh, you know, we were just traveling around Florida because I grew up in Florida. Going to the Keys, going to the Bahamas, going to all the islands around there, just studying the fish and the wildlife and everything. Just, just like just the rest of the ninety-nine percent that you were not a part of. <laughs> hey, Perfect. the club was pretty big. It had like a hundred people in my school. Was it? Yeah, it was actually. It was like the cool kids club. Oh. It is Florida, so we all, you know, grew up around the ocean. I feel like when I was in theater club, we also called ourselves the Cool Kids Club, but it was not the Cool Kids Club. How many people did you have in the theater club? Like seven. You know what I was doing in 2017? <laughs> what were you doing? I was building the greatest real estate team. Of all time. Okay. 2017 was actually my first number one year as a real estate team. Uh, oh. We did $838 million in sales that year. And Wall Street Journal labeled us as the number one team. It was pretty, pretty crazy. That is pretty but cool. But our next guest in 2017 was creating the greatest music festival of all time that then wasn't. So... That's a great way to introduce our guest, Billy McFarland. Welcome Billy! to the pod! Welcome! 
Welcome in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Okay, what's going on, guys? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think the most important thing that I just want to start with, one, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming in. Um, so you're not in jail? No. And like this office space is amazing. <laughs> because it's not jail. <laughs> it's not jail and not confined. Like so super, super cool space you guys have. So you like crazy. just got out. Yeah, my sentence ended August 30th. So it's like three and a half months now, which Crazy. is like wild. What was yeah. the first thing you went to after jail? Like, what was the thing you missed the most? Swimming. Yeah. Oh, okay, went yeah. swimming. Went swimming. You know what? Yeah. There's no pools in jail. <laughs> there are no pools in jail. <laughs> so when I first got to jail, these guys were like, like, hey, like, what are you like? What are you missing most? And it was like June in the middle of the summer. So like, I told them swimming. I'm like, this is like day two or day three. And they all convinced me that there was like a pool on the top floor you had to apply to be like the inmate lifeguard. So I like went up to the cops like, hey, how can I apply to be the inmate lifeguard? And like dead serious. And they just like destroyed me for the next You know what's weeks. crazy? We did that <laughs> in the Marine Biology Club too. Did you? We would tell the kids that there was an aquarium and a pool in the top floor of the parking garage. Yeah. I fell for it. <laughs> that good old high school trick. That's a scene in that movie, Hackers. I don't know if anyone's old enough to yeah, have watched uh, that amazing. movie. I love that. Yeah. That was like my, you know, sixth grade inspiring movie. Like, let's start programming. Like, exactly. <laughs> right? Hackers. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. Dude, we have so many questions sure. for you, Let's right? Do it. Um, we are, we're, I mean, listen, we're, we're entrepreneurs mm -hmm. at heart, right? We're salespeople, we're building, we're building this business here right now in our headquarters yep. in New York, right? This building. I mean, before we get into like all the obvious stuff, yeah. right? In the last couple of years and everything that, that went down and whatever you want to talk about, mm -hmm. like we're, we're down to talk about too, and we're totally open books. Um, can you take us back though? Because I feel like the documentaries on Netflix, like Hulu, everything that's been out there and that's so public is mm -hmm. so so focused on such a finite period in your life. Yeah. But you're how old now? I'm 30, almost 31. So crazy. Yeah. I like for the bulk of fire, I was 24, just turned 25. Yeah. Then went to jail and got out at like 30. So kind of crazy. It feels like nothing's changed, but everything's changed at the same time. Wild. But, yeah. Wild. Well, let, let's take it back. So like you. Um, you first had an entrepreneurial spirit when you were much, much younger, yeah. right? And you started your first company in like 2013. So had a couple small ones in middle school, literally inspired by the movie Hackers, like that guy. <laughs> like, like, can I talk about like, like, Have you ever seen Hackers? <laughs> I haven't. Do I don't think I've even heard of it. Well, this is something yeah. you're gonna discover on the podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm 23 years old. So Amazing, yeah. I also grew up in Mexico for a good part of my young childhood. Yeah. So. For some reason, no I'm disconnected. No movies and TV in Mexico. <laughs> For some reason, I'm disconnected. And Ryan, do you know who Armin, what was the guy's name? Armin? Did you say Armin Van Buren? <laughs> Both, yes. Jean-Claude, what is it? His name is Jean-Claude Van Damme. He can do the perfect split. I don't know who that split. is. Crazy. I don't know who that is. But then I, I knew the, the... What year were you born? 1999. Shit. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. okay, do you think I'm a 90s baby or not? No. They're, oh, okay. They win. <laughs> I'm born in the 90s and we just were different. So. Okay, so <laughs> that is yeah. the most true <laughs> statement that's yeah. been said so far. <laughs> you guys are very different people. Very, very different people. Probably a good thing for you, but no. like, yeah, you should take, take the next, uh, next decade. Uh, okay. And I'm early 80s. So, mm -hmm. so you started your, your first company. So go back to that before Andy so uh, awfully cut you off. Yeah. yeah, you started your first company. I had a web hosting business in sixth grade. And I basically learned how to program. Because you saw hackers and saw Angelina hackers, Jolie, like, she was hot and she was in the pool on the roof. Yeah, and the main character guy was pretty sweet too. So yeah. it's like. Yeah, was it Jonathan Rice Myers? I, I don't remember the actor's name. Yeah, I think that's who it was. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, hacking and like going to parties and leaving the party to go back and like code. Like, yeah, yeah super cool. Yeah. So anyway, like, had a web hosting business. 
started building websites and needed to get them online. So I was paying these other companies like, you know, five, $6 a month to put their websites online. So uh, I bought a server, put it in my like childhood bedroom and started leasing server space. What? And hired these three full-time employees from India. Shout out to Rex, Alex, and Juna. Uh, they didn't know I was 11 or 12 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Just got my first cell phone and would literally like leave class to like go to the bathroom and like be on sales calls and customer service calls from the bathroom in middle school. So how that's did all, you it all know, kicked off. How did you know to even do that? Like how did you know to like where to even start? How do you find yeah. people in India? Like how do you, how, how do you, like Andy would not know what the fuck to do. <laughs> I mean like it was all, I, I had this really bad basic website and I didn't have five or $6. So like I was paying somebody else that much money every month to put it online. And I'm like, shit, there's probably 50 other people out there like me. So why not be the one who's getting paid the five or $6 so I can host my own website for free and then, you know, capture the, the revenue from everybody else. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So I think so, the coolest thing through all that is one of my biggest customers was another kid from London who was the exact same age as me, but we're both pretending to be 30. So <laughs> <laughs> Henry Clifford, like he's, he's at Google now doing great. But like we both have these terrible, like fake deep voices. And he was like a great programmer designer. And we were online, like lying to each other for years. And like the relationship grew and three or four years later, we admitted it to each other. Like fast forward, started my like first real bigger company in college. We both dropped out after a freshman year. He came to America for the first time, and like we had our first like venture back business together. But met as like 12, 13 year olds online pretending what? to be older men. So crazy world. Like most relationships start <laughs> actually relationships. these days, so right? You got to be careful other. out yeah. there on the internet. Catfish each other, and it worked out pretty well. So when you went to college, mm -hmm. were you going to study something related to computers? I mean, I said I wanted to study computer engineering. Um, I mean, Rex and Alex crushed my homework for like the first four or five months and then <laughs> like ran out of money. <laughs> so yeah. second semester, I uh, just was working at a business and didn't really do too well in school. And you left school freshman year? After my freshman year. Okay. Yeah. So I have a question for where'd you. you where'd I'm, you go? Uh, a little school called Bucknell in Pennsylvania. Oh, I know Bucknell. Yeah, middle of nowhere. So I also yeah. dropped out of college. Oh, yeah? Yeah. On nice. My so you guys year. are more alike than I yeah, thought. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Maybe you are a 90 baby. Let's go. <laughs> I have a question for you yeah. because this is a question a lot of people ask me. Do you think a college education is worth the value that they say it is, that the people of past generations say it is? I think it's totally up to your field and personality. I think for the majority of personality types, absolutely. But... For others, no. I think it's more about like what you want to do and how you can get there. Yeah, I agree. What do What do you think, Ryan? I, dude, I th I think education is what you make of it. Yeah. Right. If someone like I, for me personally, I I needed college. Mm -hmm. Like college for me was I, I needed to mature. Like I went yeah. to I went to Hamilton, so I went to upstate oh, nice. New York, cool. yeah. which is in the middle of nowhere on a hill, yeah, yeah. and I went up there and basically kind of like became an adult. Had I gone straight to New York City when I was 18, I would have died. Yeah. Like it just, it just wouldn't, I wouldn't have been ready. Some people yeah. though, especially now as kids are growing up, like I, they're, they're ready much, much younger mm -hmm. for a lot of things, right? They're ready much, much younger for a lot of things. And so I, just, I think it depends on the person. So I don't, I don't think it's fair to say uh, higher education is dead for everybody. I think the world has changed though. Mm -hmm. I think more and more people are becoming entrepreneurs. More and more people are getting into sales. More and more people are finding different ways to make money in a lot of different ways. They don't need the nine to five. Mm -hmm. They don't need the grind anymore. Things are, things are different, you know? And same thing for you when yeah. you're 11, 12. Mm -hmm. So when you were Pretending to be a 30-year-old man when you were 12 years old, mm -hmm. did you, was that just to be legitimate or did you have like a little bit of imposter syndrome mm -hmm. like early on? Like if you were to sit with a therapist, do you have a therapist? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm mandated to get public or mandated to get mental health treatment 
dirt oh. part of my probation. So yeah, yeah. So you have a therapist now. I do. Yes. So you have like a, a court mandated therapist yes. now. Yes. So do you talk about things like that? Like yeah, it's what, a court issued therapist, I guess is the best way to put it. Got it. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I think most people in this room should have one of those, I think. So you um uh <laughs> did that ever come into your mind? Like the the need to to be somebody that you weren't at the time? I think that like I viewed technology and the internet as this playground where there were no rules. And this is like, what, almost 20 years ago now, 18 years ago. So this is like the wild, wild west days of the internet. Yeah. Just like the regulation and the frameworks weren't anywhere near what they are now. So I kept trying to like push the problem to see how I can get in trouble, if that kind of made sense. Like, hey, maybe I can start a business. Okay, maybe I can pretend to be 30. Oh, maybe I can pretend to have full-time, or actually have full-time employees. Maybe I can sell a business. And I kept trying to see how far I could go and I think like the lack of like rules and the lack of structure of the early internet days really allowed that to happen. And I probably wasn't ready for it, but like living a, a normal structured like suburban American life, the internet was the only place where no one could really tell me like what to do as a 12 year old. Until you go to jail. Until you go to jail. Yeah. yeah so, I, and then you really get told what to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And then, so when did you come up with the idea for Magnesis? So, so then you, yeah. so you, you you dropped out of Bucknell. Dropped out of college. And you told your parents, you're like, hey, I'm not doing college. And they, uh, were, they were like, fine, Billy, whatever you want to do. I, I started it much easier than that, saying I'm taking a semester off school Got it. to work on a project um, that I have investors backing if I take a semester off. And so you went to the city to do that? Eventually, went to, first went to Philadelphia. Yeah. Participated in like an incubator program called Dream Adventures. Okay. Where they basically gave us a small check and office space for three months. Got it. So did Dream It had this first company called Spling. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it's been beaten many times since then. At the time, became one of the first, or the youngest people to ever raise like institutional venture capital money. So you raised like 1.5, something like that? Yeah, for Spling, yep. yep. So raised a couple of dollars for Spling, you know, had Henry over from London and America for the first mm -hmm. time. We're all kind of bunking Your together. Your long-time business partner. <laughs> Your long-time business Good partner. Good old Henry. <laughs> now we're actually like 18, like in over our heads in Philly. Was there for a few months and moved to New York just as I turned 20. Nice. So for the people that don't know, could you explain yeah. what Magnesis was? Yeah. Well, it was Spling first. It was Spling. So Spling. Yeah. I, I tried to make another social network, which is what I was doing in middle school, and ended up creating software for like record labels and TV networks. And the whole like entertainment content world was just so foreign to me. And I was like this little 19-year-old kid <clears throat> meeting with the CEOs of like record labels and all the TV networks that we've all heard of here. And I felt like this is like a totally foreign world. And I would try to call my other high school friends who are now sophomores at places like Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. And they just like couldn't understand. It's like they had one option. That was like to go to finance or become a lawyer. And anything else just like was wrong and didn't make sense. So I'm like, you guys wouldn't believe me, like who I met and like what this meeting was like. And they just like couldn't comprehend what was happening. And so I'm like, wait, there's a bigger value here than selling this software. It's like, what if I can create a network of all these people I'm meeting? and actually show my friends this is real. And that's how Magnesis was started. Okay. So Magnesis came out of Spling. Magnesis came out of Spling. And I was in the second ever WeWork as a just turned 20 year old back on Barrack Street. I think nice. like this, yeah, like WeWork Labs and it was like one of like 15 companies, like the space was still a mess, but it was awesome. And I wanted to like build a network for all my friends, but I also wanted a black card and like really, really wanted the black card. And obviously it was broke as hell, I had like $20 in my, you know, Chase debit card. So I went on Alibaba, and this is back in 20, late 2011, early 2012, before like Alibaba was really a thing in the US, and bought this black sheet of metal. 
bought a piece of magnetic strip tape and a credit card copier, all from Alibaba. They, they kind of came in the mail, everybody's staring at me in this like WeWork space. I just start copying everybody's credit card onto a piece of metal. And we all go out to like the pizza place next door. We buy a couple slices of pizza. I'm like worried my car's gonna get declined. <laughs> like the guy's like looking at it, dropping in the counter, like, this is amazing. Like, all right, guys, like I, I gotta go and see if this really works. So I went out that night. You know, I went to the bar, the nightclub, put every dollar I had in my bank account to like to go out with it. And like everybody who wouldn't look at me before is now treating me like I'm the king of New York. And because like, you had a, <laughs> I had a this piece heavy... of black metal off from Alibaba.com. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but no one knew. And like, I got it engraved, had my like Spling logo on it, wrote like Spling CEO on the car, like all nice and engraved. Like people are treating me really seriously. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. So started selling all these cars that we work members and out of nowhere, Magnesis was born. Where'd the name come from? Oh, it's totally made up. I think like, I got like a Magnum bottle of champagne given to me like that yeah. night at the nightclub because I had the card. You're, so, so you're like, a little drunk. Is, you're yeah. like, what is this, a Magnesis? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't Company like, name! <laughs> yeah. Didn't know what it was. Like, this is cool. I've never seen anything this, like, like this before. So the mag kind of came from like the Grand and Magnesis. So I remember Magnesis, like yeah. even being in the city and I remember mm -hmm. people talking about it and you had, yeah. the, you had the, the house in the village. Yeah. Right? Kind of like the club that once you were a member of the card, you yeah. could come and hang out with the club and it was like this real life social networking. Yeah. Did club. you try to get a card? No, I don't think so. I don't I don't remember like why or why not, but I I never made it into the Magnesis club at the time. So real estate actually kicked Magnesis off. Um it, it was sleazy, but I'll I'll, I'll tell the story. I'm it, not not, yes. not proud of it, but but definitely did it. Um so I'm making these cards to Magnesis and like I have Spling. Yeah. Living in like the world's worst department and always kind of intrigued by real estate and like starting to realize that I need like a place to host these Magnesis members. If there's yeah. a community, they need a gathering spot. Yeah. So <clears throat> discovered like back then, me discovering, obviously they're an amazing company, discovered the uh, allure of Street Easy. Yes. <laughs> and started meeting a couple of like real estate, you know, broker agent types around Manhattan and realized like inherently they're all it's like amazing salespeople, right? Like these are early days, you know, like, young agents at these companies at a meeting as a 19, 20 year old. Yeah. So I said, shit, like these guys are representing the really like, you know, affordable apartments. Who's representing the apartments that are renting for tens of thousands of dollars a month? Like I need to meet them. Yeah. So I went in Street Easy, you know, posing as a Spling CEO, which you know was true, but Spling didn't have much to it and started emailing all, I, I sorted by like most expensive down on rentals only. So started emailing the brokers and like, you know, the $30,000, $40,000 a month apartments and saying, nice. hey, I'm a young tech entrepreneur uh, looking for you know, a new place. Like, can I come tour the buildings? So I'd bring like a little posse. We'd go and tour all these places. Like, I couldn't afford them in a million years, right? But yeah. the brokers are all immediately intrigued. Like, how the fuck is this 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid like touring these places? Like, what is Spling? And then I used that as like a springboard to pitch Spling. And you know, a lot of them kind of like looked at me and they said whatever, but a couple of them were like, hey, like, I want equity. Like, what can I do to you know, be an advisor? Like, the tech boom was starting to happen and like they had friends in venture capital. They might've been listing some of their houses. So I use this as a way to meet the owners of a lot of these apartments and said, hey, I, we just need investors, but yeah, I'd love to give you some advisory shares or whatever in Spling and ended up meeting like six people that way who actually invested in Magnesis just from touring these apartments. Then a couple of months later, sold enough cars and went back and actually rented some of those spaces, you know, for Magnesis members. So worked out well for the brokers, but that was kind of like the real estate story, knowing no investors in New York, like getting going in Manhattan. So you're obviously a very what? persuasive person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what do you, 
is this something you were born with this skill or did you read certain books or admire certain people that led you to have the knowledge to persuade people? I guess I was just intrigued. I was like, wait, who owns these places? Like they must be really interesting, successful people. How can I meet them? Uh, okay. I tried like a hundred cold emails. Everybody ignores me. Yeah. But they want business, right? They want to like rent their house for yeah. this much money. So let's go meet them there. And I think that everybody has their, their openings. Like we all seek new business in some capacity. And the best way to get in touch with someone is through that channel where they're seeking new business. So then when did you, you shut down Magnesis at some point? So Magnesis went uh, up until the fire festival and we and eventually just switched efforts. I lost focus. And that's like one of my, you know, beyond like the lies and the, and the fraud that I did commit, like losing focus on Magnesis is one of my biggest regrets. I just didn't see it through yeah. and, you know, we can go into it, but got distracted by fire and the fire festival and, and lost focus. And then Magnesis was still around and kicking and, you know, had How a lot of employees. How many employees did you have for Magnesis when you started fire festival? Uh, it was around 35 full time. And then we had offices. You were paying as payroll? Yeah. In New York, DC and San Francisco. So we had three offices and it was going. So it's a real, real yeah. business. Yeah. It, it, payroll was rough, but yeah, your payroll here probably makes me sick. As I told you. Yeah. <laughs> payroll here is hard. Yeah. It's up there. I was getting crushed. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Were you, was Magnesis profitable? Uh, it was like we raised around three ish million in venture capital. Yep. And then for like the last 18 ish months before fire festival, it was covering all of its own bills. So it wasn't like, you know, printing off tons of profits, but we were, you know, positive cash flow. Nice. So yeah. for young entrepreneurs who are looking to start a business yeah. like you did at a young age, how do you recommend they go about searching for those venture investors, those yeah. inve the investors that are going to fund their earliest you projects? You con real estate agents <laughs> like you right? Yeah. to Take show like big expensive properties. Go and then he's like, hey, properties. can I meet your owner? Yeah. And then you meet the owner and then boom, there you go. That's what he just I mean, a guy who's like, a like a developer probably has the same risk appetite as a venture capitalist, just different yeah. channels and vehicles for it, but it's a similar kind of mindset. So, yeah. Okay, cool. So... Where did the idea of Fire Festival yeah. come about? Oh man, I think just like I mean, no, listen, we got yeah. we got time, buddy. Okay, right? Yeah, let's do this. Fuck it. And okay. you're yeah, I'm here. You're not jail anymore. Just no. open up, man. Just relax. Yeah. So one of the brokers uh, found wow, us. Real estate is playing a real heavy role in your oh, life yeah, they, here. They, they crushed it for me. I got it. Now I know why you agreed to do this. <laughs> Can't pay my rent, but shout out to all these places getting, getting, getting me in. Great. Um, we rented a townhouse on uh, 10th Street in Greenwich Avenue. Yes. That I, uh, yeah, I told the owners that I'd be living there, which wasn't the case, unfortunately. And it became like the Magnesis member headquarters. Yeah. Um, I was actually living on 14th and 9th, a few blocks away, and got a call from one of the people who worked at the front desk at the townhouse, as we called it, which was not my apartment. Sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> and said, hey, there's this guy here who works at Google who says he flies planes and wants to fly you on his plane. And we kind of believe him. So I said, okay, so ran over to the townhouse and super, super smart, you know, wild, like programmer, badass guy who just like was a hobbyist, risk-taking, boundary-pushing pilot for fun. He's like, wow. hey, I've got like five or six friends like me. We should do a trip where we take five planes and go to the Bahamas Oh, and take your Magnesis members. So I said, absolutely, like, <laughs> let's go. Like, Don't tempt me with the good time. Yeah, I've been to like Nassau as a kid once. He goes, no, 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 we're going to like the outer islands where... No one's there. We have to fly over the houses in our little planes, like wake them up to pick us up from the runway. So this sounds amazing. So went, organized this trip. We printed out this decal that said Magnesis Air, stamped it on the guy's plane, like thought I was on top of the world and took this trip to the Bahamas. We're just like 
getting rocked in the air, like in the winter storms, like flying these crappy little like 1960 propeller planes, but kind of ran out of gas and made it to this island called Norman's Key. I just fell in love. And it was us and these four airplanes and 18 to 20 Magnesis members. And it was like our total playground. And I loved the water. So it was like jet skiing, you know, spear fishing for lobsters, night diving, bonfires on the beach, but no one's there but us. Yeah. We almost just like created this like Magnesis, like heaven in the middle of nowhere in the Bahamas. That was what you wanted the fire Festival to be. Exactly. So we replicated these trips dozens of times and started doing them almost every other weekend. Four members. Four members. And you charge them. And, and we charge them. Got it. But every trip just got like a little crazier. You know, we bought more people. Instead of one island, we rented multiple islands. Instead of a couple of jet skis, we started getting yachts. Instead of propeller planes, we started getting jets. <laughs> like, started getting more and more aggressive, and it was never really enough. And were, they, were these profitable events that you were doing through Magnesis in the Bahamas? It was just trying to cover costs. But, you know, it was really about like, hey, I'm exploring this whole world yeah. that I didn't know existed. And I'm bringing all these really interesting people who in New York are kind of like stuffy and like in their own lane and in their own zone. But now we're on this island, like with a fire and a great like spear fisherman and nothing else to help us. Now we're all best friends. Yeah. And people are literally like, you know, becoming couples. They were starting new businesses. They were investing in each other's companies. And I kind of just found like these life, life pushing experiences and adventures had a really weird way of breaking down everybody's walls and bringing them together. And it was, there's just some magic to it that I want to replicate and share with as many people as possible. So how did that turn into fire festival and yeah. job rule and everything that we now know? So I, I think a million people said they came up with the idea for fire festival. It was actually one of my high school friends who I convinced to come on one of these trips with me. Uh, we were there on the island of the Bahamas. And he said, you should totally do a music festival here for Magnesis members. So it's that guy's That's fault. that guy. It's that guy's <laughs> idea. So, that, guy. that guy is smart. So <laughs> uh, it was not Ja Rule's idea. It was not <laughs> that guy's ideas. It was my high school buddy who said, like, this is great, but, like, what if you do a music festival here for everybody? Like Coachella, but yeah, Bahamas. In the Bahamas, on these islands where you're bouncing back and forth. There literally are no rules, and you're having a blast. And, like, I think he kind of understood my desire to share this with everybody. I was begging people to come who I knew for my whole life. Like, guys, you have to see what I'm doing in the Bahamas. And no one really believed me. Yeah. So I was like, hey, this is a great way to show everybody. Just do a music festival here. And that gave me the terrible idea to try to bring a few thousand people to an island that was you know, meant for 20. But it wasn't a terrible idea at the beginning. At the beginning, it no. was fun, and you yeah. actually thought you could pull it off. For sure. And were you just going to use the Magnesis team members and employees to kind of just make this festival happen as like a one-off? Yeah. So like literally in the course of four months, went from begging Magnesis employees to like come on these trips and spend a few hours to having up to like 800 people working on fire in the fire festival, uh, mostly contractors, so not all full-time employees, but yeah. like, you know, went from nothing to like $10 million a month payroll like, like this. And just like, it went crazy. And you, you obviously raise money. Yes. That's a part of the story. Yes. So so you're in the Bahamas, your high school friend says, hey, you should make this into a music festival. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I need to go raise money to be able to do this. And you went back to the same investors. I just like thought the whole thing would be as simple as building a website. It's like, okay, music festival, no water, no bathrooms, no problem. Like, you know, <laughs> we'll get it here in a week and it'll be great. Um, I think just the reality was I didn't know if anybody would actually want to come. So you recorded this marketing video uh, launched it in December of 2016 and said, hey, we're doing a music festival here in April. 
So is this the one that was with Ja Rule and all the models and yeah. everybody? Yeah. So I have so, so many wait, questions wait, wait, wait. on this. So wait, so we got to take a step back, okay? So when when did those relationships start? Like, how did you get even to that level? I think when you're like 24 and bringing people to this island that's not even on the map, people are like, "What's going on? Like, how can we see for ourselves what's happening here?" But did you know Ja Rule? Like, did you just call up? You're like, "Yo, Ja." <clears throat> so you want to make <clears throat> a video? Who was your first contact that yeah. got all of this started? So Magnesis had been doing really small concerts for its members Got in it. like New York and DC for a couple of years. Got it. These are like 500 person concerts. So like nothing towards the scale of a music festival in the Bahamas. Yeah. And I loved rap as a kid. So I was basically trying to book every rap artist that I listened to as a kid, but couldn't actually meet <laughs> to come perform at Magnesis just so I can essentially meet them and like pretend like I knew how to rap their songs. Yeah. So, you know, we had booked 18, 20 artists over the past few years. And through that process, just like realized how, non-transparent the entertainment industry was. I was meeting all of these like managers or agents who claimed to represent artists, but the reality were like they were a middleman who knew a guy's cousin, who knew his sister, who knew his mom, who could eventually call the artist. So I pitched Ja Rule at like one of these concerts that we did on creating an app to basically delete this whole process and allow, you know, idiot kids like me to go directly to the artists so they can maximize their revenue. Yeah. And so Fire was initially this booking app that was trying to essentially be like the Airbnb for entertainment. And the festival was meant to be a way to promote that booking platform. Okay, cool. That's so, a good idea. Yeah. I the want, idea was good. I want to hear some uh, more information on the, the cost of these uh, artists and everything. Yeah. So what were these? Oh for example, if we were, have you seen this video since, since everything? Uh, I've watched this video. I have not watched documentaries. This is as close as I let myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> you dude, you gotta okay. watch the documentaries. <clears throat> I can't do it. So you obviously got yeah. all the top people in the world. Look how amazing the water is, though. Like, no, dude, I'm, you love water. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, love it. I fully that, feel That's our 1960s that. plane that we flew on for like one of the first times. Barely it's made it. Crazy. You had quite the cast. Yeah. For this, how much did this video cost? Yes, that was my question. How much Oof. did these ladies make? Probably spent like a million all in on the video, which included like the Pain. planes, the boats, the Flying jet skis, in, like renting three islands, the talent. And fees. that was investor money that you had raised for this specifically. So it was just like overall money. We were it was investor money. It was revenue for any kind of like marketing consulting jobs I can get. You said you know, one big bank account. It was, like, just... it was terrible. It was so disorganized and like. I was pulling in money from any and every it's like source. Sam Bankman free, but just much smaller. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> I hadn't started lying yet, so it was more like, which is terrible. And like what I did was was wrong. But at this point, it was guys. Here's this crazy idea I have. Yeah. You've worked with me for four or five years on splitting a magnesis. Yeah, I really think this could be bigger. And so like the initial investors were just coming on board based on like the past, the previous success, previous relationships that we've had, yeah. and like seeing the work. And ethic. you're a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. That's so what there, we see all the time. There was something there, and they were like, "Wow, he really thinks this is going to be bigger." And obviously, it was for all the wrong reasons, but. The initial money was just raised on, I think, my pure excitement. It's like, look at this island. They're actually letting me take this place over. Like, let's go. And everybody wanted to get on board. So you, you did the video. You created yeah. the website. You're like, let's see if anyone wants to come. Yeah. And like, I woke up the next morning and we had sold like, I think it was like half a million dollars of tickets in the first few hours. Oh my And I'm like, God. shit, what do I do now? I have four months to figure this out. Like, there's no water. So like I call a guy for water and he starts like explaining reverse osmosis to me. I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. Like I have 3000 problems to solve. I can't become like a reverse osmosis, like water expert in the next three days. And 
just became this mad dash of trying to build a city in the middle of nowhere in four months. So I'm glad you mentioned water because I have a very serious question. Yeah. <laughs> you obviously have seen the memes and everything of that guy, Andy, that you worked with. Yeah. I want to hear your side of the story. I mean, Andy tried his best. And uh, I think he was, he had been doing events for Magnesis for a couple of years. Um, I think he was hired to help with fire maybe six to eight weeks. I could be wrong before the festival. So it was definitely not like when this video is being shot. This is the pre-Andy days. Right. But uh, he was brought in at the end to help us with catering. And yeah, he certainly, he certainly tried his <laughs> best. So shout out to him for, for his effort. Do you guys still have a contact relationship? Uh, I'm sure we'll speak soon. But yeah, okay. he, he's a good guy. You know, he, he works super hard. Clearly. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> clearly. Clearly. Yeah. So, so then you started booking, because you had already booked musical guests before yeah. for Magnesis parties, so it was just kind of like that on steroids. For sure. So now you're selling all these tickets for an event that isn't really even planned. Yeah. And so it's almost like, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but like when we sell new development towers in Miami. Yeah. Right in New York, it's very different. It's very regulated. Yeah. Like these two buildings right here. Okay. Right. Like we can't even start selling them until the money's there. You're in the ground. Like yeah. the buildings are up, and then we start selling. Which apartment am I moving into? I, we'll talk about that <laughs> after. In, in Miami, you basically like point to a lot. Yeah. And you're like, hey, I'm gonna build a building, maybe, and people can start giving you contracts, and then yeah. you use everyone's deposits to build the tower. Okay. Right. So it's almost like that's kind of what you, you, you thought about doing. You're like, all right, everyone's yeah. buying these tickets for this event that doesn't even exist. I guess I have to make this event now. So I was totally the one that was wrong. But they you know who really fucked me on the fire festival? Who? Pablo Escobar, that motherfucker. <laughs> so we, we used his what? name. We, we used his name in the marketing video uh, as Norman's key where the majority of the like the promo video was shot. Yeah. Was one of his big waypoints for his, you know, drug smuggling activities. Yeah. And so I thought the history was really cool. Like clearly not selling drugs. So like let's use the history and, and try to make it part of the story. Yeah. And we had a preliminary deal in place with the guys who owned the island to actually host the festival there. But as soon as Pablo Escobar's name like came out in their marketing, oh, they, they sent me cool. like a cease and desist letter within hours saying, if you step foot on Norman's key again, we are going to sue the shit out of you. So Pablo Escobar Damn, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> so then you had to find a new island. You had to find a new island, yeah. Oh. And yeah. then you started booking bands. Yeah, I mean, but like getting kicked off the island just like put a complete wrench in the plans. Got so it. how did you, I mean, these, this, the entire project obviously hadn't happened previously and it no. really never happened. So how did you get these big name artists to come to the Bahamas, to an island in the middle of nowhere? How did you convince them? What did you say? I think having an island and, you know, paying 30% more than you usually get paid is the, uh, is the so what was that? Yeah. What was the highest paid uh, yeah. artist there? Uh, it's all public, so like happy to to share the numbers. Um, some of the headliners were getting like upwards of seven, eight hundred thousand dollars for two weekends. And that would be yeah. two one-hour performances. Yeah, yeah. It's like the wow. what was it like Blink One Eighty Two? I remember yeah. like yeah. they were pretty public about not showing up. Yeah. And how yeah, many, so how many like, bands did you have signed up to come? We had, we had around 30 artists booked. Yeah. And I think, this is once again, this is all, all public and like the bankruptcy proceedings with the company that, that followed after. But 28 of the 30 artists were paid in full, which I think is just like not known. And the other two artists were paid for the first weekend. Okay. <clears throat> and like the logic was, hey, we would make some money after the first weekend and we could afford them for the second weekend. Mm -hmm. So Got who it. knew if that would happen or not? But everybody was paid for that first weekend. They were all either there or on their way, except for Blink-182. They were the first and only ones to cancel. 
and they canceled maybe like five days before the event. So because they heard that the room and board and the food and stuff was. I think the real issue is that they had all this shit they were demanding we do, and it's requiring all these basically barges to take these containers to the island. I just couldn't afford the barges. So they like weren't giving them the setup they required, and they got another offer for the same weekend. So they're like, fuck off, we have a better deal. And uh, yeah, they, and they that, were paid, I think they were paid, uh, they were the, one of the two bands who were paid for the first weekend only. And I think they were paid 500K for the first weekend. So, you know, they kept the half million dollars. So did it sounds have, like- Did they have to give that money back? Yeah. I think they had to give back like 30 grand or 40 grand or something stupid, but yeah. So they, they profited, you know, 400K-ish on the oh, event. the fuckers. So, yeah. Never get it back. So it sounds like a lot of the mistakes that were made with Fire Festival are because you didn't have the experience, the time necessarily. For like the logistics, just didn't have the experience. But for the investor side, once we had to switch islands, and once I realized I just had no idea what I was doing, the costs, you know, went four or five, six times higher. And I just like started lying to <clears throat> any investor to get the money for the festival. So I because was Because you didn't want it, because it was going to be a house of cards otherwise. Yeah, I just needed like tens of millions of dollars. So that's when you started lying. That's when I started lying. And it was so fucked up. And I would tell them I had more money personally. I would tell them our revenue was higher. And like, that's it. And it was really like unsophisticated. And like, I think like in jail, like I would always joke with these guys who would come up to me with all these like credit card, petty, like gift card scam pitches. And I'm like just totally clueless and no one believed it. It's like, I don't know how to do all these scams. Like I created a really bad Excel document and lied about what I had. And it was totally fucked up and totally wrong, but it was almost like pathetic how unsophisticated it was. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Crazy. So when did you know that it was all about to fall apart? So the festival was taking- there's, there's probably yeah. a, like there's probably a period where you're like, I'm still gonna pull this off. It's all gonna be fine. Let's just get through it. You, Otherwise sure. you wouldn't even go down there. I remember when I when I was following with everything on the internet, I remember like the turning Were you gonna point. come, Ryan? Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't okay. no, I don't think okay. so. I don't I haven't been to a lot of festivals okay. in my life really wow they're yeah. fun i love them uh but i remember the turning point on social media was that picture of the bread yeah the sandwich yeah was that actually what you were planning on serving uh okay no so the <laughs> the festival was supposed to take place from friday to sunday yeah um we had chartered two 737 planes to get everybody from miami to the island that sounds cheap i think we paid like two million dollars oh for, for those two planes God. for two weekends alone yeah <coughs> uh Really cool. We like branded them with like fire festival cool, like marketing and like it was cool. Holy Set shit. up a little terminal <laughs> in Miami International Airport for all of our guests and like logistically just couldn't fly everybody in on one day. So we started bringing people in like early Thursday morning for the weekend and the planes were supposed to go nonstop, like land back, land back to get everybody there. The guests started arriving early Thursday morning and we just weren't ready. And like beyond like the lying was the biggest mistake. The second biggest mistake was being scared to show the festival site in like a not like good enough format. So I sent all the guests to this like party beach, sent all the boats and jet skis there and all this booze and said, okay, everybody drinks for free, go and give these guys a party so we can like build the rest of the festival in eight hours. Right. And like, clearly if you couldn't build it in four months, you couldn't build it in eight hours, but like couldn't <laughs> tell me that at the time. So everybody went and got wasted. And then by the time we were like semi ready, which we obviously weren't, was nine or 10 o'clock, it was pitch black. Everybody comes back wasted and just like couldn't possibly handle everything. And I was told three people died. And like, thank God that's not true. And no one was physically hurt like at all. But I was told these wild stories from like my top, you know, employees, like elaborate details, but how people were like getting killed. I'm like, all right, that's it. Let's go turn these planes around in the air, get everybody off the island as fast as possible. 
So when everything was going downhill with the fire festival at that moment, did you try to leave the island? Did you try to make it back to the United States? Uh, So this was now like late Thursday night. And then I came back to the U.S. late Sunday night. So it was like three days, basically 72 hours of. So you stayed the whole weekend. Yeah, I stayed until the end of night Sunday. And then everyone got off the island. Most people left early Friday morning and then throughout the rest of the day Friday. So when did you know you were in trouble? We had like a, a late team meeting Wednesday night. I think the first flight was scheduled to land at like the, first, the crack of dawn. It's like 7 or 8 a.m. So like back, back in the city or this is before? This is before. This is on the island. Yeah. Like Wednesday night going into Thursday morning. So flights are, you know, less than 12 hours away from arriving. And the team is just exhausted. Like these people are just kind of like passed out on couches, like slumping overs in their chairs. And they just lost all of their energy. And like, as if scripted by a movie, this is not hurricane season and it wasn't like technically a hurricane, but like as if on cue, this massive storm just like moves in out of nowhere and like starts knocking over the tents and blowing things away. God. And then like in like desperation gave one of our interns a key to this like box truck basically. And he went and drove over a water line and just like killed the water to like all the showers and bathrooms and you know all like the senior like experienced people are just like at their wits end there's like passing out in the couches and like i just can't rally the troops and like okay we're we're fucked wow that's insane yeah so afterwards how did you when did you know you were in trouble i kept thinking like everything's gonna be okay no matter what like look at the water like it's great and (laughs) like when you got back to new york so the festival didn't happen shit show all that stuff When did you know you were like in legal trouble? Oh, right away. So I got a call on Friday midday as we were like shuttling everybody off the island from one of my investors uh, who basically had some of his friends come and invest. And he made it very clear these are, you know, very connected, you know, powerful investors. And he asked for a dollar figure. He's like, you got to get this amount, you know, back to these guys like now. And I just didn't have the money. And he's like, he, he literally tells me at the time, if you don't do this, you're going to be in handcuffs on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And like, at, at this point, I'm still in the do or die, let's make this happen mode. I'm just trying to do what's best for everybody. Obviously, I was so wrong, but I couldn't really fathom at the time like what I did was committing a crime. Like, I knew nothing about jail or prison or like the FBI, right? I was like, hey, I'm just trying to make this event happen. And I didn't really like think he was serious. Um, and I call him back like a day later, like, hey, I, I don't have the money. And he, he basically proposes all these options to me. And naively, I'm like, fuck off. Like, I just can't do it. I don't have X millions of dollars. Like, I am literally spent every dollar I had, and the rest has been frozen. <coughs> and he goes, okay, sorry, too late. Uh, I, I'm like, too late? Like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, it's, we tried to help. It's too late. Landed back in the U.S. at midnight on Sunday night to Monday morning. And uh, the FBI was at my, at my apartment, at my building at like 5, 5.30 a.m. the next morning. So like I was, and they arrested, uh, they arrested you. They didn't arrest me then. They started questioning me right away. Um, I was arrested like five or six weeks later, like the day or two before 4th of July that year. Um, but I was going to go to jail anyway. And I was like totally guilty and definitely committed a crime, but certainly pissed off people who, uh, expedited the process. But like once they like made the phone calls, you know, it was all over and the fact spoke for itself and there, there was no gray area. Like I was totally guilty. How did you, how'd you feel though? Yeah. Like, like, what's that feeling in your, your stomach? You're sitting with the FBI. You got to talk to your parents. Like, you were just yeah. trying to throw a party. Like, this is, like, it was more incompetence than it was, like, pure fraud the way you talk right. about it. Like, if you Google your yeah. name now, it's Billy McFarland fraudster. Yeah, crazy. Right? Yeah. And um, I've heard people describe you as a con man, too. Mm-hmm. 
do you think that you yourself were a con man at that moment? I think my entire like goal was to make everybody succeed and make everybody happy. And I'm totally making this up. But let's say the festival made a hundred million dollars, you know, or we had a great brand worth a hundred million dollars. Like I wasn't in it to go and like get 10 or $20 million for myself. I would have given all the investors their money back times three, four or five, like whatever the numbers were. I just like wanted to make them happy and prove them right. So I certainly like lied and committed fraud to try to make that happen. And that's, that's like totally fucked up and wrong and learned from it. But the intention was never to like abscond with this money. And unfortunately I think that makes a better story, but yeah, like the way it went about it was awful and terrible and like lost all ethics and morals in that time period. But I thought I was doing it for the right cause, which obviously just wasn't true. So from this point forward, what is the next plan? What are you, how are you planning on making this up? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Ryan Gen, has Gen more Z questions. Over here, Ryan, Ryan, no, 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 Gen Z's already on the <laughs> left. He's like, no, uh, are you planting flowers now? What can I come to the next festival? Better, better <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. I'll be there. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. So before, what were those five weeks like before you got arrested? Like you knew it was coming. Yeah. Were you, like, were you going to the gym? Were you like going out to dinner? Was that when you started selling like the tickets to the gala and yeah, stuff? Not yet. So I was really confused because the first questions everybody was, they, everybody thought that the whole festival was fake and that like, like it was a fake festival. You just sold like, festival. yeah, I took $20 million and have it in Switzerland somewhere like, and my yachts like hiding in the Caribbean. No one could find it. Like, yeah, that's what people legitimately thought yeah. happened. And then I just couldn't comprehend what I actually did because like, guys, I swear I was trying to do it. Like here are my bank statements. Here's all the money. Like I've literally Here's have all the nothing. bookings for like, the bands. Yeah, I have everybody. nothing left. Like I spent every dollar that I had to make this happen. And so I was so adamant that people didn't understand the truth. But I was just like too stupid to realize like, no, you idiot. Like you just lied to 30, 40 investors, whatever the number was. And like, that's what that, it's just wire fraud. Yeah, yeah, wire fraud. Like I'm going to jail. Like that's bad. And it took me a couple of months to really realize like the gravity of, of the what I did. I just didn't, didn't get it. Like, no, I tried guys. I promise. Yeah. Like, I'm like, it doesn't matter that you tried. Like you, you lied and you're going to jail. And I didn't understand right away. So when did you start your jail sentence? Uh, a year later. I had my, basically my bail was revoked. I was rearrested. Because you posted bail for 300 grand or something, right? Yeah. Um, it was, it was some money and the rest was basically like a bond is what they do. Um, and then I just like started fucking up on bail. And then like a year later they took the bail And that's when you did like the fake tickets and stuff? Yeah. Um, So how did, how did that? So like through Magnesis, like we had been doing events for so long and essentially the Magnesis model was that members would pay us like an annual fee. And then brands would pay us to advertise events to them. Yeah. So we'd have like, you know, fashion brands or gyms or, you know, smaller concerts who would want to target this like up and coming young urban professional audience. Yeah. So we would make money from both sides. And through that, a lot of these brands or sponsors would, you know, wine and dine me. They would take me to these events and these, these galas and fashion shows and charity events. I'd always get like a plus one or plus two or plus three. And I'd invite random friends or random Magnesis members to come along. So I think I had this idea in my mind that I could just continue this. And yeah, sure, I can get three tickets to this charity event or this concert. That's no problem. And so I was selling these event tickets and trying to make it happen and was fulfilling some of them, but just like got so far ahead of my skis and like I fucked up and I was wrong. And it's like kept going and just like didn't know how to stop. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't sell tickets to things that you haven't planned yet going forward. (laughs) That's a good idea. So uh, yeah, please, I'm not going to sell any tickets for, for Pirate right now. 
<laughs> so don't let me do that. And so you were sentenced to jail for six years? Six years, yeah. What did you feel like when you got that sentence? I was like, I was 25 at that point. And I felt like since I was 13 with my web hosting business, I just didn't know how to think past like this week. Yeah. It's like, how can I make payroll on Friday? Yeah. You know, how can I pay these vendors so they don't drop out of the festival? Yeah. And so everything was on like a today basis. How can I wake up today and get a million dollars in the bank before the wire closes so I can, you know, pay my team? Yeah. And when I heard the word like six or like the number six, six years, I just couldn't fathom that amount of time. Like I was like, oh, this would be like, okay, four or five months and then I'll be back at it. It's like six years. Holy fuck. Like the rest of my 20s, I'm going to be in jail when... I've never had the ability, which obviously was a huge downfall of mine, to think past like this weekend. And now I have six years to, to think past, and that's like really, really hard to, uh, to comprehend. Your parents just devastated and... I think everybody's just so confused. It's like, I always made it seem like everything was fine, and that was part of the lie, right? Yeah, come on, invest, we're doing great. We have all this money, we have all this revenue, and it was like part of the lie was this salesmanship that everything was okay so i think people were just like shocked that one i was acting like things were fine and two that i was just lying for this period before the festival why do you think you know i want to go back to that but yeah. why why do you think people so easily and in, invest into lies like that because mm -hmm. we just watched you know the ftx balloon completely pop and explode and everyone's like oh my god how could that happen yeah whether it's that or bernie or even at a much smaller scale like it seems like it, it happens time and time and time again so i think that what i was good at was making everybody fight for the cause like a lot of our investors were working for the company in various roles yeah and i think we all believed like in the mission and we had a good mission i think the reality was if i didn't lie the brand would have had value, right? Better or worse, and people would have made their money back, or, or if not more. So I think like there was real opportunity for investors to make a return, and they saw that. Just they didn't know I was lying, and those lies just derailed everything. So I think from like a pure investment standpoint, if I was honest, and they had no reason to think I wasn't being honest, it made sense as an investment. But the lies just like totally counteract and remove all the good. Crazy. Yeah. So where did you serve time? Oh shit. Yeah, this is crazy. So I had my bail revoked and went to the Brooklyn Detention Center. That's by my house. Really? On Atlantic. Oh, wow. You live by a prison? So yeah. Do you, do you see like do you see like the girls <laughs> driving, like hopping out of the cars and like getting naked for the inmates and then driving off and everything or no? Dude, every day on the way to school, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So I like what floor so were you on? Uh, I was unit 53, so the fifth, I think the fifth floor. And you got like the mesh outside the windows and stuff? Yeah. Wow, we're neighbors. Yeah, that sucked. How long were you there? So I live in Brooklyn now. However, when I was 24, I thought it was really cool. And I'm like, oh, I'm never going to live in Brooklyn. Yeah. So I, I go and uh, live in the Brooklyn Detention Center is my introduction, <laughs> introduction to Brooklyn. So <laughs> How long, got, you how long were you in jail there? Uh, seven months. Oh, my. Yeah, that place was, uh, was rough. That's why you were in jail. Oh, shit. The most TV jail thing. Something that you're never going to forget. people hiding things up their ass <laughs> in the Brooklyn detention center. So, goodness. Did you ever hide anything up your ass? No. Um, <laughs> I said, is, it, is there something up your ass right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
sorry, the tickets to pirate. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I first got to Brooklyn, and so the big thing in Brooklyn detention center was a lot of people had cell phones. So really, and the guys who couldn't afford it would hide the cell phones in you know these nether regions, and the guys who could afford it would. would but now I there can't be like a, like an iPhone. Pro? No, they were these like little. They call Why'd them. Why'd like, you have to go to pro? <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm like thinking about my. I'm just like thinking. Like, how would I? Mm. If you could do that, you'd be a hot commodity in the <laughs> detention center. So, okay, it's good for Andy that. to know, though. Your goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> so this one guy, he's basically a friend of mine had just gotten like one of these small finger phones, and and hired someone to hide the phone for him. So like on the first day, he's like, "Hey man, can I make a phone call?" And so the guy's like, yeah, yeah, sure, one second. So he runs away and runs back to the guy's cell and gives him, gives him the phone. And the phone smells like shit. So the guy who just paid all this money for the phone is like, what the fuck, man? Like, you're supposed to keep my phone safe for me. And he goes, and I'm just fresh in jail. It's like my second or third day there. I'm wide-eyed. He's like, yeah, man, I boofed this thing like three times already today. I'm like, wait, what? What does boofing the phone mean? And why the hell did you do that? No one's even come in our fucking unit the whole day. So this guy, like... Every time there's any sense of trouble, he would just like shove the phone up his butt. And then he was bragging to like the guy who was paying him that he just like accomplished the world by keeping his phone safe. And like that was like my introduction to jail. I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Like, get me away oh from this guy. Were you ever, did you ever, get, were you ever hurt? Did anything bad ever happen to you? Was there uh, any like shower things? Like all no, that stuff? No, no, no. So I told one story where these guys are threatening me in Brooklyn and my, my cellmate Patel went and basically fought them for me without me knowing. But oh. other than that, there was no like. It's like some American history action. Yeah, there, there was no. I experienced no violence. And I think like, at the end of the day, the violence is purely around like gang and drug related stuff. So you know, never into drugs, thankfully. And obviously, I really hope I'm not in a gang because <laughs> not not be good luck for the gang. So, so yeah. like, if you didn't know any drug bills or you weren't really in a gang, and stuck to yourself. The the violence wasn't really like a threat. So you're seven months in that jail, and then yeah. you were moved to moved to Otisville, which is like but I would think it is like an appropriate jail for my crime. I think it was like one of the only federal jails where it was over 50% financial crimes. So that was definitely- So like the Wolf of Wall Street jail where you can much. like go outside and- Yeah, it was still, it still fucking sucked. It was not fun. Uh, I didn't last very long there. I just like, I couldn't do it. Did you see any celebrities or anything inside the, the jails? In, uh, in Otisville, there was a handful of, of characters, if you will. Uh, there's Michael Cohen, who's like, committed yeah. like the mortgage fraud to Trump's, you know, you know, yeah, his attorney, yeah, former guy, whatever the guy testified on Trump. Uh, uh, the situation was there. Oh, for tax yeah. fraud. Yeah. A handful That's of other Jersey shore, right? Yeah. So a handful yeah. of other, you know, politician types, but and I felt bad for that jail. Cause like, there's like most of the jails, you know, everybody's getting like whipped into shape by the guards. There you have like 90 spoiled, like New York city assholes like, in the <laughs> prisons. The jail's like, what the hell do we do? Like, how do we handle these, like these jerks? And, and then you got off for good behavior. Uh, so I got in trouble there. I had oh. the genius idea of trying to write a book on like a USB voice recorder device. Oh. So um, I got caught, went to solitary confinement there for three months, and, oh they, sh and they shipped me to Elkton, Ohio, by way of Con Air, Oklahoma City, and then Elkton. So You were in solitary confinement yeah. for three months? It gets worse. So get shipped to Elkton, Ohio, to solitary for three months. Elkton is definitely like... A little bit worse, but not as bad as Brooklyn. And you would think I'd learn, right? Yes. So my next genius idea is, hey guys, like podcasts are really cool right now. Let's do a podcast in prison. I hop on the payphone, have my buddies like set up a podcast studio and try to record a podcast. Through the prison payphone? Through the prison payphone. 
all nice. the calls are recorded, of course. And like, I don't say anything bad at all. It's yeah, more yeah. of like, hey, guys, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I'm in jail. This place sucks. Like, like literally, like, nothing bad. It was, like, super boring. Like, I was just scared to say anything wrong. Yeah. They post a trailer to my Instagram account, which, like, had no followers. An hour after the trailer comes out, the guards come and rip me out of my cell. Like, all right, you're out of here. And put me in solitary again. Ugh. And this time, I stayed in solitary for seven months, which is which was brutal. Seven months straight. How do you how do you change as a person after solitary for basically a year? You're just in a room by yourself. Yeah. So the first time was almost easier for me because I was so guilty. Yeah. Right. It's like I clearly broke the rules and had this USB device. The second time I was just a moron, and like I think the problem was I didn't break any rules. So they just didn't know what to do. It's like you're allowed to speak to the media and you're allowed to use the payphone. So he didn't really do anything wrong, but at the same time, we can't let our inmates have a podcast. So it's like, how do we handle this guy? Yeah. And they legitimately tried sending me to a terrorist communication management facility because of that podcast. So like the local warden at the jail was so pissed off, they put in the paperwork to send to this terrorist management place. Oh my and God. Uh, like I've since went and looked the jail up on Wikipedia and they have like a list of the inmates and you know, I'd be like one of like three non-terrorists. <laughs> but they're like, oh yeah, you wanna do a podcast here? Okay, well we're gonna send you to the, the CMC. And they tried oh to God. scare me. I thought they were bluffing. They gave me like a printout of the program statement for the communication management unit. They're like, here's where you're gonna go if you don't fucking like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. You guys can't send me there. Like, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't say anything wrong. Like, oh yeah, you wanna see? So Holy part of the reason why I was shit. there for so long is they were trying to decide if they were gonna send me to the terrorist jail or not. <laughs> but, then, but then you still got out early. Yeah, so like anyway, like you, I guess- You technically, based on your original sentence, you should still be in jail right now. For sure, but like taking a step back. So, I mean, there was guys coming to solitary in that jail for like knives and they were coming for like 30 days and like getting out. So yeah. I have a podcast and after seven months, someone in like the regional system in the Bureau of Prisons like finally says, okay, this is enough. We'll send him to a Milan, Michigan, which is outside of Detroit. And like, that's probably a fair punishment instead of the terrorist facility. But they took away, oh. my, they took away my phone calls forever. So I couldn't call family or friends for almost two years. Um, oh, wow. They sent me on a, a Con Air flight to Oklahoma City, stayed in solitary, could find me there for another month. And then they shackled me on a bus for 17 hours from Oklahoma to this jail just outside of Detroit. And I was there until the end of the sentence. But yeah. So never go to jail. Don't go to jail. And if you do go to jail, do not break the rules. So Don't what, do a what goes to your head every single yeah. time you make the same mistake in the past? Like, how were you justifying, oh, I'm going to... I'm different than everyone. I'm going to break the rules. So the first time was just like so silly. Like, hey, I'll do this book. I'll make it. Oh, this is not. I'm in my head. I'll make a million dollars. You know, give half it to restitution. Everybody's going to like me again. And like, obviously, like wrong and short-sighted. And the second time, it's like, okay, well, I broke the rules the last time. This time, I'm not going to use a cell phone. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to follow the rules and pay some restitution. But at the end of the day, like following the rules is more of a gray area, right? Mm -hmm. And it almost would have been better if I broke the rules because they would have known how to punish me. Right. But the fact that like I manipulated the system in their minds has really, really got me in trouble. When you were in prison, did people know what you were in there for? Did, were you, did you have celebrity status? I mean, so in jail, a big thing is like why you're there. So you have to like show your paperwork in like the harder jails to like prove what your crime was okay. to see if you'd be like allowed to like watch TV and like eat meals and stuff like that. So like the worse the crime is, the more TV you get. <laughs> No, like if, you're like if you're like a pedophile or like a child molester, which there are tons of, like tons, like you, you just basically get shit on. Okay. Yeah. So, you know. Rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the just like a lot of the more educated people, unfortunately, are like, you know, the child molester pedophile types. So like immediately off the bat, that's like the group that people would think that I would be in just, just by like looks. Yeah. So you had to show that you weren't part of that. Um, 
but also people have TV, right? And they mm -hmm. watch like all, like TMZ is like the number one watched show in every prison I've been at. Like religiously, every guy watches like every airing of TMZ. <laughs> so, so, like, they have the three o'clock live, the five o'clock tape, like the six o'clock, like West Coast edition, like TMZ is fucking crushing it in all the federal jails. But they also watch like the morning talk shows too. So okay. I think they're, they're familiar <laughs> with like the pop culture, you know, that's going on. Like way more than I was. So people are certainly caught up. And then you got yeah. out. Yeah. Um, there was a Trump's administration passed a law right after I got to jail called the First Step Act. And it took three years, but the law promised to give every nonviolent offender a year off their sentence. So I like literally... Trump did that? Uh, Trump's administration did that. It was bipartisan support, but he, he was one who officially signed it. It's called the First Step Act. It passed in December of 2018. So I was in Brooklyn at the time, and everybody was kind of celebrating in Brooklyn. And it took like over three years. And, you know, I think in like January this year, they woke me up. I still had no phone call access. I was begging to have a phone call to call my family. They're like, oh, the warden won't give it to you. Like, we have no communication in the outside world. Like, I couldn't do anything. And they called me at like 6 a.m. Like, McFarlane, come to the office. And like, the guy's all mad reading from a sheet of paper. Ah, you're, you got a year off. Get out of here. I'm like, wait, what? Is this real? And then so for like the next month, I thought he was bullshitting me. Until they call me back in, and it's like, we got to give you five months of halfway house. Like, here's your date. Get, get the fuck out of here. So I really just like woke up one morning in January this year and was told that my date was moving from August of 23 to August of 22. Wow. And I was like shocked, and I didn't believe it. And like that actually became the hardest part. Like harder than solitary confinement was waiting for like my date. Yeah. I'm like, all right, they're going to come tell me any minute now. Like That's every remote. morning when they're on the loudspeaker, I'm waiting for my name to be called. Uh, just kidding. Like you're not yeah. getting out of here. And then, then the day of, like, I'm waiting in, like, the cage to be processed out. I'm like, okay, when's the, the marshal's going to come and tell me this is just a joke? Like, you're going back to jail. And, like, I didn't believe it until I was, like, in the parking lot. I'm like, get me the fuck out of here. So the but, prison guards fucked with you guys? They didn't, like, fuck with us. No, at, at that point, it was all mental. Like, oh, okay. everything that could have gone wrong had gone wrong. And I'm like, they're just going to find a reason to not, you know, let me out of this place. And I truly thought I was never getting out of there. And um, so your parents came and got you? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you flew or drove home? I uh, drove. Drove from Detroit to the Brooklyn halfway house. And then that was my second time living in Brooklyn. There you go! <laughs> yeah, so we're back, baby. Are you allowed to fly? Uh, I can't leave New York. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so as long as I stay in like the New York bounds, I guess it's fine. But yeah, can't Wait, you have a you have a girlfriend now? Uh, <laughs> no? Yes? Are we not allowed to talk yes, about no, that? Yes, no, not allowed to talk about it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to don't cause anybody any uh, any attention at this point. But Okay, no problem. Yeah, D um, depends, on the, depends on the day and like... Depends on the day. I think the issue is like literally, as I told you before, the rats are starting to eat through the walls of my apartment. And so she's basically giving me an ultimatum to, to get back to Manhattan. So I'm not yeah. sure. I have no money. So I'm not sure if I can, uh, if I can fulfill the request. So well, you, still, you still owe restitution, right? Yeah, a shitload. How does, how does that work? Uh, every two to three weeks, I go to the courthouse in lower Manhattan with a money order and pay a percentage of my income. So it's and like... What yeah. percentage? How does that work? What percentage do you have to pay? So the percentage of my personal income, uh, it's still super early, so I'm learning. I think it depends on like how much I'm actually making or not making. But in addition to that, we'll get into a pirate, but I'm giving 10% of pirate back to restitution as well. So just trying to pay more than I'm supposed to. And like, I don't think many people actually like try to pay it, so I want to be different. And it's like, just be totally honest. Hey, if I make $100 this week, like that's what I made, and here's the books, and here's what I'm paying. So... How Everything much? is about paying that restitution. How much do you owe? I owe twenty six million, and like I've made eight payments since August thirtieth for like twenty grand. It's like not much, but it's something. So you know, doing my best and 
whether it's 20,000 or, or 2 million one day, like I want to make those payments and, and get there. And how are you making money now? So you just got yeah. out of jail. You've been in jail for four so years. I'm doing a little bit of everything. Like I did a TV deal. I've signed some baseball cards. Um, I'm on cameo, like just like really hustling. And like, I'm starting to do cameo. more. Yeah. Dude, just like whatever it takes, man. And like starting to do more marketing consulting thing, like for other like startups and companies. So I think like that's going to be the big revenue driver in the next 12 months. And then my like three to five year play is working on pirate. And that's like the chance to really build a technology that is game changing and the way to pay back tens of millions of dollars. Everything else is like, how can I earn honest living and, you know, pay some yeah. restitution, but like, let's go with pirate. And like, that's our shot to, to do this right and do it big. So pirate let's is go, yeah. your new company. Yeah. So what is, what is pirate? Where does the name come from? It comes, like, I came up with the name actually in, soli- in my second stint in solitary confinement. You must have had so many ideas yeah. in solitary yeah. confinement. Can you write them down or you just got to remember? So, like, you were given these, like, stub pencils and everybody was trying to get contraband in solitary confinement, right? They're all, like, trying to get drugs and things like this. I'm just trying to get pens. Like, yeah. like guys, like, yeah. can I pay you, like, $4 for a ballpoint pen? Like, that was my, like, contraband hustle in solitary. I was desperate to get a pen so I can write down all my terrible ideas. But I think Pirate's a good one. I think cool. the cool thing about solitary, and there's not many cool things about it, is that I never had time to think about like where technology was going. It was more of like, hey, what crazy website can I build this week to make me money and to allow me to survive? And now in solitary, when I legitimately think there's a greater than zero chance that I'm never getting out of there, I have time to think about like where technology is heading. And I think it's really cool. Like, can I kind of think about like where I fucked up, get back to what I'm good at? And also have the time to think about tech that I've never had before, and that's Spawn Pirate. Cool. And so what is Pirate? Yeah, so Pirate's getting back to like two things, technology and hosting adventurous people through these like life-defying experiences. So Pirate is going to be this physical location in the islands where we permanently- Going back to the Bahamas? Uh, we have some issues there, TBD. So we, we will get into <laughs> you, that. You love the Bahamas. I, I love the Bahamas, man. The best people. the water. The do, best people. Do the they love water. you back? I think you'll get a visceral reaction for it. I, I like to think that we have a great local team and great local support, but you know, the, the country just recently announced that uh, I'm a fugitive of the country, oh. which, which is a little surprising to me. But uh, yeah. Dude, everyone has a, you're like this generation's Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. you know what I mean? Like time, time, time will tell, yeah. you just get out of jail. Yeah. But like, you know, we talk a lot about the business of, of influence here yeah. and you've got, you know, you've got the fraudsters and the scammer and people got way in over their heads, but it's, it's interesting to see like what you're, what you're going to do next. Sure. Right. And Thank you. you're, you're clearly, you clearly know how to sell and, and market, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Just make sure you have the plan before you sell the tickets. Yeah. And the team, I'm really, really strong team right now and yeah. they know how to slow me down. They're better at logistics. Is it some of the same people from Magnesis who believed in you or uh, No, it's, it's, um, People my, from my, jail? Business, my business partner actually. Henry, <laughs> Henry, come work for us, man. Leave Google. Let's go. Like, <laughs> Henry's amazing. Like, yeah, I love to. I love to have Henry come join the team. But like, yeah, have a good team. And so, Pirates about having this physical location yeah. where we're hosting like artists and content creators and entrepreneurs to go like go on these night scuba dives, go lobster like go lobster wow. diving, um, you know, do jet ski races around the islands and get them all together. But rather than trying to invite thousands of people to the island. We are rigging these islands with these 360 cameras where we're live streaming the entire experience. And so all of their fans, no matter where they are in the world, can watch, watch what's happening at the island yeah. 
But this time they could take advantage of like this new pirate technology to actually change and even own the experiences. So they can like team up online with 10,000 friends, throw a dollar in and build this beachside bar where they can now sell drinks to their favorite artists and like watch all this happening. Sounds like the Hunger Games, but like but fun. Like for good. I mean, like <laughs> more Hunger Games aspect is like one day, if I'm ever it's allowed- the one movie this kid's seen over here, by the way. <laughs> Very good. That's true. Like Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> walks by and he's like, oh. <laughs> you and me both. So, yeah. <laughs> um, if I'm ever allowed to go again and I'm like swimming at the reef, people online could vote to chum the water. Oh. And then like the local boat captain will do that. And I think given all the sharks in the area, a lot of people probably want to see that, but it's giving all these people the ability to not only go to these places that they haven't gone to before, but the ability to actually like affect and own what's happening there. And that's a crux of the technology. And this there is out go. now. So building technology now, we're actually going they to be- get the jacket now. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna be testing it for the first time in New York this winter with a jet ski race around New York that will be like live streaming from drones and giving fans the ability to like fuck with their race and fuck with me as I'm racing other like entertainers uh, around New York. Let us know when that is. We, we yeah. happen to be in New York. Do you want to do you want to jet race in the jet one of the jet skis? Do it, do it, do it, do it. In the winter? Yeah, I mean, well, super thick wetsuits, like fun race. You know, have the your audience like yes. vote and impact the race. The answer, the yes. answer is yes. Okay, we should talk. <laughs> we should talk about it. We should talk about it. Um, uh, wild. Totally, totally crazy. Your marketing team is saying you have to do it. So. <laughs> they are saying yeah, I'll, make, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> if we could do an event uh, at that ballroom like yeah. thing we have and the, and the apartment sells before the race, you have to race. Perfect. Deal? Perfect, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, give me a couple of NBA players for the penthouse at Central Park Tower. And what, what, if we do a, what if we do an MMA fight where I fight someone and we live stream it from like the ballroom? We should have you fight Jake Paul. That would be iconic. Right. How about if I fight Ja Rule? I'll call him out. Oh my oh God. God! The fire We festival would in a 250, makeup. yeah. Oh, would you fight Anna Delvey? Didn't she used to live with you? I'm not going to fight Anna Delvey. I'll fight Ja Rule. Do you know okay. Anna Delvey? Jake Paul will kick my ass, so all respect to <laughs> him. I'm not going to do that. But do I you will, still talk to Ja Rule? Uh, no, but I would fight him. If we do it for charity and we do it in the ballroom, let's yeah. go. I'm, I'm in. To, to right, I'm going to talk to Axtell. I'm going to talk to yeah. the developer. We'll do that. And then, yeah, if that apartment sells and you have to do the jet ski race. That's, okay, perfect. Deal. I want nothing. This is how but, deals get done. You just witnessed the business of influence yeah, yeah. <laughs> last question i have for you time is super valuable to you now right um we'll see yeah. what do you want to be known for yeah. in two years yeah i think there's like two ways to approach life right now for someone in my shoes and it's like totally one is totally heads down you know go work behind a desk and shut the fuck up for the rest of your life and like realize you failed and just like go get a know, job and just live with remorse and, and do nothing about it. And I think there's like nothing wrong with that. And the other option is like, go for it and say this time, I'm gonna go for it honestly. And if I fail, which might as well be the case, I'm gonna fail honestly. But if I succeed, I wanna make a positive impact and I wanna pay people back. And that's like rebuilding trust, paying them back financially, being their friend, being there for them. And that's the ride I'm taking. I think it's hard for a lot of people who just like wanna see me shut up and like be quiet and just do nothing with my life. But I'm only 30. So, you know, I hopefully have 20 or 30 years of trying to be an entrepreneur. So why not go for it, but go for it honestly and realize it's about the process. And, you know, I'm not going to pay back all this money in five years. It might take 15 years. It might take 20 years, but why not try to go for it and make something positive happen? Yeah, just don't lie. Yeah, that's what's all. Yeah. And no we're lying. No. Right. Don't. Honesty yeah. is the best policy. And can I just say, it's the last minute, um, you look pretty great <laughs> compared to pre-prison. Like prison... Like you came out, were you working out in there? Yeah, I was so fat. 
you were, you were I, like, you were, you were like stress eating before you went to jail and in jail, you like leaned out, you like look good. You, it's, it's, it's just, you know, I think I went from having like four dinners a day and not being able to afford like a dinner. So it definitely <laughs> so like dinners in your ass, you know what I mean? Great. I did not from. eat any of those. <laughs> so <laughs> anybody questioning. It's a, that's okay. Yeah. I believe you. Yeah. I trust you. I trust you. I really. not, yeah. Dude, you're the man. Thank you so much for coming Thank on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, really, really cool. And I'll see you at our penthouse, I guess. Yeah, let's go. I'll, I'll be there too. Awesome. That's yeah. fun. Thank Exciting. Yeah, Absolutely. Ryan, this is fun.